and welcome to CPR Unplugged. I'm your host, Jess. Today, I'm going to be talking to Tom McSherry, president and founder of Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc. It's great to have you, Tom. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jess. So I've got a couple things I kind of want to dig into with you. I think a lot of people don't really know the origin story of crisis prep and recovery. Sure. And then also your own origin story, kind of how you got into the field of mental health and um, kind of made it what it is today. Okay. Well, um, actually, it, it, it all began uh, after graduating from uh, the University of Denver with uh, my bachelor's of music education degree. I became a, uh, a junior high school band director, and I think that qualifies for crisis management, <laughs> uh, crisis intervention. Um, so my entree into the emergency services world was also back in Colorado, and that was uh, in about 1982, 83, I became a volunteer firefighter EMT. In uh, 1987, uh, we came to, my family and I moved to uh, Arizona, and I went to work for the Salvation Army. And this will all tie together here just shortly. So with my job responsibilities at the Salvation Army, one of them included uh, coordinating emergency disaster response for the Salvation Army Southwest Division, which at that time was uh, Arizona, New Mexico, Clark County, Nevada, and El Paso County, Texas. So, um, and here locally started establishing um, relationships with fire departments, particularly Phoenix and Mesa at that time. So if they had a large scale of fire, long-term event, uh, we would come out and uh, feed the firefighters. Oh, that's fantastic. And support them. So um, then that turned into uh, also when there was... Uh, a large-scale disaster, and, and the first one was Loma Prieta earthquake. And uh, we were collecting a lot of donated goods and all those good kinds of things and then sending them over uh, to San Francisco and Oakland. So I got more involved in emergency management. I took a number of courses in emergency management and uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, part of it was um, I missed being a volunteer firefighter EMT. In 1980, about 89, I believe it was, 88 to 89, um, I went to a meeting about a term called CISD, Critical Incident Stress Debriefing. And CISD at the time was new. It is only maybe five years, six years old. And uh, it involved taking care of responders, uh, helping them after uh, bad calls. And I could relate to that. Um, I had a few while I was a volunteer. Um, one in particular was a 17-year-old that died by suicide, uh, carbon monoxide poisoning. And, and uh, I did compressions on him um, at the scene and the helicopter and then uh, at the hospital. So that was one of my calls in my book. And um, so anyway, I could really relate to it. And I thought, this is kind of cool. So it was a peer-to-peer -peer, uh, support, not counseling, but certainly a, uh, a toe into the counseling world, if you will. Uh, so that got me to thinking about, and actually even before, um, I'd always found myself as a teacher um, feeling like uh, uh, 
I was drawn into a position of that kids would come to and so forth and and uh, go from there. In fact, uh, honestly, my, my first experience, and I joke about the junior high school uh, being crisis management, um, but, but an event that uh, happened early, and I was only, I think, 22 at the time, 23 maybe, uh, one of my students came up to me in the parking lot before school and said, hey, Mr. Mack, I've, I've got a real pain in my side. It really hurts. And I said, well, let's, let's get you in the office and call your folks and, you know, let's get, have them get that checked out. Well, it turns out that she had liver cancer. Oh, wow. And uh, within a year, she had passed. And, um, you know, as a, as a new teacher um, and, uh, you know, a kid who's 14 at the time, I believe, 14 and a half, and then having to talk to um, the, st- the rest of the students in the band, and and then the the parents asked me to do the eulogy, which was pretty tough to do. So um, I mean, even back then, that that was kind of the start, if you will, of me looking down the path of um, counseling and and understanding the impact of loss. So uh, fast forward, um, in um, 1995, I started CPR. And the, um, that started as a result of my work with the Salvation Army doing their disaster service work. Um, after Hurricane Aniki and working that in, in 93 and then the uh, Northridge earthquake uh, a year or so later, um, the Western Territory for the Salvation Army did not have an individual who was coordinating uh, disaster response across the Western Territory, which was Colorado to, to Guam. And so I proposed that I be a contractor to provide those services, and that meant I would ensure that there would be emergency plans written, training done, um, preparedness. If a response occurred, I would go in, um, put together a management team and help the local Salvation Army manage the event. So they said yes, and that's how CPR started, actually. Along with that, I was already doing uh, trainings um, for critical and stress management, critical and stress debriefings, and uh, working with school districts, writing plans and training teams, and taught for the Federal Emergency Management Agency um, and uh, as well as the state's emergency management department on a variety of subjects, mostly around mass care, because that was my specialty. So that's how it began, and that was its focus. I started my master's degree in 94 and finished in 97, so master's in counseling at the University of Phoenix. While I was doing my internship, um, and I was doing it uh, with an agency that had a mobile crisis team. Um, that's when I um, met an individual and we were talking one day because we'd done some responses in hospital rooms, uh, hospital emergency departments, excuse me. And so the thought was, you know, this is, this is an area of need and, and could be a line of service. So I hired that individual because I already had my company and we started our hospital response program. 
So that started uh, in basically in 98 with our first hospital, Phoenix Memorial, that's no longer in existence. Um, it was a cash deal only, and uh, it was pretty good. So we started with that, ended up with three or four hospitals within the next year, year and a half. And now obviously that's grown. So that those were the beginnings of, of my career into um, crisis work, and which is still my passion and counseling, and uh, the beginnings of CPR. Wow. It, it sounds like it kind of developed organically through a combination of factors. There's that human factor of just, it, I, I really do believe it takes a certain kind of person to, no matter how you get into that kind of work, whether you fall into it or you pursue it, or it's a mixture of the two, um, there's a certain kind of um, spark that some people have. It sounds like you already had that, right? That's just a natural component. Yes, I, and, and, and this wasn't the first company I've started. So I've, I've been an entrepreneur. Um, I had a uh, child care consulting business. Uh, I had a printing business. Um, I leased cars and equipment. Um, had part interest in a recording studio. So um, I've never been one to just kind of, and, and started a school, my wife and I. So um, just the standard eight to five and working for somebody else has not always worked for me. And uh, so th there's been many attempts and, and I've been fortunate that this one stuck longer and worked better than the other attempts because uh, we're coming up on 25 years. Wow, that's exciting. That is very cool. It's a kind of a see a need, fill a need, but in this way, like you said, you know, you've had all these other um, businesses in the past, but with this organization, you kind of were able to branch out to these different needs and develop this one entity that is now taking over Arizona. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. Uh, that's never been the plan. And, and, and that's one thing um, you mentioned just that it was kind of organic. And that's really been, been the growth pattern. Um, we've never done, except for at the very beginning, obviously, uh, knocking on some hospital doors to get, get some contracts. But then, uh, honestly, through, through uh, reputation, the quality of the work, and I think finding our niche uh, in, in different areas, that's how it's begun, and that's how it continues to grow. Um, whether that was the uh, uh, acquisition of the seriously mentally ill department uh, 10 years ago, and we were asked to take that on uh, from the uh, Regional Behavioral Health Authority at the time uh, to one of my counselors saying, hey, I think there's some market here in the skilled nursing facility so we said sounds good to us let's try that and added medication services to that line to outpatients started about 12 years ago 13 years ago um, and uh, you know each line of service has continued to to grow um, we have uh, folks knocking on our door which i'm very thankful for and and we can be selective in which projects we want to take on uh, because uh, it's important to me that it's not about the quantity of the work we do, it's about the quality. And I'm not, I'm not interested in, in chasing um, a dollar just because it could be had. I want to make sure that it, that line, that service uh, fits who we are, what we're about, and that we're able to do it well. Exactly, yeah. 
Very well said. I think it goes back to the mission statement too. It really what I've seen um, working with CPR is we exist to serve. That really is the compassion and the forward thinking and the service that we're providing in all these different areas. It really comes from that core of all of the providers here really do exist to serve. Well, I appreciate that. And, and, and honestly, um, so that, that our, our mission statement, um, I had a different one and it was longer. <laughs> and then one day I thought, you know what? Uh, I can't remember it. And I wrote it. <laughs> so it's, it's too old and it's too long and I'm old and, and I can't remember things. So let's simplify that. And so that's why I chose, uh, the we exist to serve because truly, um, we have to have that mindset. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a privilege. Uh, it's not a right. We're not entitled to serve those who are in need. Uh, if we're not welcomed by them, you're not going to provide any good service, right? You know that as a clinician. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and with that, what was important to me, not just the, the mission statement, but so what, what supports that? I mean, how does that occur? And, and so at the time I had about 60 employees, 63, 4, somewhere in there. And I said, folks, if this is our mission statement, um, then what are the core values behind it? What allow us to really exist to serve? And so it was, it was born, the core values were born from the employees. I didn't write them. Uh, all we did was, and, and what I, my part was at the end, was just to kind of go through them and merge and purge, but, but it was written by the employees. So, you know, the commitment to excellence, the integrity, the life balance, the respect, the compassion, uh, innovation, um, all of those things, those, that's what allows us to do a good job of existing to serve. Mm-hmm. And I've seen, it's interesting, CPR is almost like a magnet for people who not necessarily are experts in the field, but they just, they've put so much of themselves into their work that they have developed into these amazing clinicians, these people I'm absolutely honored to to work next to and learn from. And I think that's in part because you have helped to um, engender that in others. Well, a couple of things that, that you mentioned. Um, number one, I've, I've been very, very blessed in having folks who agree with the vision that I've cast. Um, I have two employees that now that have celebrated 20 years. Um, we have a 10-year plus club and we just picked up a whole bunch more and would have had more if some hadn't retired so um, I mean to have over 30 some folks in that club when at 10 years ago we were at 60 some folks um, I think speaks for itself Um, I'm glad that they feel that they've they found a home uh, that they can to your point pursue their passion um, that they can bring their expertise no one knows everything, right? And so that allows us, I think, to, to be creative, to meet the needs. Um, and those continue to change somewhat, right? And we have to be innovative in, in our application of services. So, you know, it's, it's, it all comes together uh, because of a, a common vision, a common goal, and, and the camaraderie 
and the respect and appreciation for each other. What do you think went into establishing that unique community-oriented culture that you've developed here at CPR? Well, I I think um, it's been important to me uh, that it has a feeling of a of a family that we are different. That doesn't mean we're we're perfect, and doesn't mean we always don't get along, and and you know might have some disagreements, but that's okay. That's that everybody should be questioned a little bit, right, about your your view, and and uh, not just and and I've never looked for anyone to just be a yes person to me. Um, we, we have a saying, at least I have the saying, I don't know if you all have it with me, but I've mentioned it a few times. <laughs> um, you know, here it's, it, it, at CPR, everybody gets their say, you just may not get your way. And, and that's important uh, to me. I, it, when, when I was in positions, um, all I expected of my supervisor was for them to hear my opinion. And then I'm good with the decision they made because I voiced my opinion. And I respect their right uh, to make a different decision than I would have. That's the deal. So um, I think treating uh, folks with with respect as equals, um, I think, has has played a large role in it. Um, having again the same the same mindset as far as why we're here and and uh, uh, that we want to do the best. I think that all all goes into it, um, and, and it's noticed outside. It it, it is. I remember uh, one one night I was at an emergency department um, doing an intervention, and um, was doing some paperwork, and uh, one of the docs was sitting there, and I said, "So hey, uh, how's it going?" He says, "Good." He said, uh, "I noticed you guys are are growing. You got some new people." I said, "Yeah." Um, I said, how are they doing? And um, he said, well, good. He said, you know, one of them was fine, but just not CPR-ish. And I go, what's CPR-ish? And, and he goes, well, you know, goes kind of above and beyond and takes care of it, and I don't have to worry about it. You know, CPR-ish. So um, we we do look for people who are CPR-ish. And... Um, you know, we, we are selective in our process and need to be. It, it doesn't mean that um, uh, we, we are, I don't want to say, better than any other organization, although I think we are, obviously, because that's why I'm here <laughs> and hopefully why others are here. Um, but, but it's important that we, we do kind of, again, be on the same page and mindset of what we're about uh, the quality is important, uh, that meeting the client's needs is absolute, and uh, it's a it's a privilege, not a right. I think that's been part of the growth with CPR. You brought up a good point about being able to approach others and challenge others, and, and that's really where growth comes from, personal, professional growth, being able to challenge each other and, and not, like you said, have people who are just going to be saying yes to everything or agreeing to everything without really looking into it and, and deciding, okay, how is this going to work? And that's also what I've noticed is one of the reasons CPR has kind of started to branch out. You had mentioned a lot of these um, ideas came from other employees, other providers, and it's one of those things, see a need, fill a need, but there's so many ways to do that. 
and having people come to the table and say, well, let's try this or let's go in that direction. Let's just see what happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one of our programs, uh, Four Directions Integrated Wellness, it was something that I've been thinking about for a long time. I felt that it was um, for, the, for those who kind of have more chronic issues, um, and it's not just, uh, you know, medicational counseling that's going to meet the need. There, there's the, the physiology to it, if you will, um, from a standpoint of diet and exercise and, and awareness. So, um, you know, I threw that out there, and some of the team folks took it and molded it and put together a program. I just said, here's, here's what I'm interested in doing. Uh, the same with our public safety program. Um, you know, I have a, obviously a personal passion for that, uh, having, having been in the fire service as well as my uh, brother retiring out of the law enforcement. So, and, and an extreme need there, and I want to make sure we're, we're doing best practices across the board. Um, so, again, I think uh, the, the strength of the organization comes from um, our diversity and uh, the variety of experiences uh, the uh, varying viewpoints, and and I think the other thing that uh, we talk about when we bring new folks on, regardless of their um, position within CPR, is that everyone, from the billers to the receptionists to the call takers to the counselors, uh, everyone has a role in therapy in that patient's uh, opportunity to get well. And, and we can't uh, minimize any of those. Because if you, if you mess up someone's bill and cause more stress, you've just undone weeks of work that a clinician, right, works so hard on. Um, if, you, if you make people feel uncomfortable, uh, they're not going to come back. So the, the receptions, that, that first phone call, the engagement of the um, individual taking the appointment and setting and doing the screening, you know, if, if they're not coming across as supportive uh, and non-judgmental, um, the person will just hang up. So, so it is truly uh, has to be thought of, in my opinion, as a 360 approach that everyone is equal in the delivery of services as far as their importance. Yeah, it really is that that global awareness of everyone you come into contact with has an impact on you, whether that be positive or negative, help you on your journey or, or hold you back. Absolutely. Yep. Now, jump with me on my thought train here for a minute. I promise Alrighty. I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> All right. So when you were in the fire service, did you have anything like CISM available to you? Uh, no. So... Um, so, so the department I was on was very old school. It was um, established in 1875. We still had the original hose cart. And at Station 1, we had a full bar. <laughs> and the pop machine dispensed uh, beer cans. So that was pretty much uh, how people decompressed uh, after calls. I mean, this was a, a, an old coal mining uh, town uh, outside of Denver, between Denver and Boulder. And uh, so, you know, there, there, was, there was nothing. I mean, other than kind of the, the natural um, offloading, if you will, after a call where everybody's so amped up, they're not ready to, to go home, and you're just, you know, 
chitter chattering uh, at the station until somebody finally says, "I'm I'm beat. Let's go." So. Um, so yeah, there was nothing formal. Um, as I mentioned, I wasn't um, made aware of that there was anything formal until about 1989, and and again, that's where it really uh, uh, sparked an interest in me that uh, there needs to be some some help for folks. Uh, I was fortunate enough to to start getting some training, getting involved with some uh, great people who had been trained. Um, went on to help develop the Arizona uh, Critical and Stress Debriefing Network, as we called it at the time, and then it morphed into the Critical and Stress Management Network, uh, taking more trainings, um, becoming president of the International Critical and Stress Foundation for about three years, and uh, have been providing trainings uh, since 1993, um, um, both locally as, as well as uh, nationally and internationally. Now, I know you've been on both sides of the fence. You've been boots on the ground, and you've also been the support side of things. Have you seen a shift in the culture? I have. Um, in fact, I was just with a police chief um, yesterday, day before, talking about um, the need within his department. And what was interesting, I was told before we met that, oh, you're going to have to really kind of uh, beat him over the head a little bit because he's old school and it's, you know, Pull yourself up by your own, you know, bootstrap kind of kind of guys. Suck it up and deal with it. And I actually I found that not to be true. Um, he certainly had realized uh, the need and and didn't need to be um, persuaded that uh, something was needed for his troops because he had experienced it and and uh, felt honored to hear his story. He says, to this day, it still bothers me a little bit. So um, I, I've seen a shift. Um, you know, unfortunately, um, there are events that uh, bring it to the attention of admin on occasion, whether that's uh, a line of duty death. Um, unfortunately, we've had a number of suicides uh, lately. Poor uh, NYPD uh, just had their 10th this year. And, and so it's, it's that, I think, coupled with uh, the awareness and the destigmatization of PTSD from the um, um, military side, right? So it's, it's much more in the, in the uh, public's view and awareness. There's still a lot of misconceptions and, you know, bad information out there, what, it, what post-traumatic stress disorder really is and isn't, as well as um, you know, uh, it's not the only thing that folks suffer from after trauma. Uh, it could simply be depression, bipolar, it could be substance abuse, right? It doesn't have to go into that one bucket. So there's still a lot of educating to do, um, but I have certainly seen a rise in, um, by, by the new leadership of, of, in public safety that uh, we can't do it the old way anymore. So I'm encouraged by that. And on the other side of that, too, first responders taking um, critical incident training as well so that they understand more how to respond to the general public. Correct. 
and in general, just having that discussion. Mm-hmm. And that kind of brings me to, you know, my, my point here with this podcast and how that kind of all fits in. We've talked about um, the evolution of CPR, the evolution of your own personal experiences as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we're launching into this podcast, just giving everyone kind of an idea of continuing that conversation and what that's going to look like and, and what they can expect from us and look forward to. Well, and, and I'm, I'm really grateful. Again, we talked earlier about programs to start because somebody in the company said, let's do this. So that's why we're sitting here. Um, and I think that's awesome. One thing that I hope uh, we can provide with this podcast is, again, just an awareness and to raise that as well as to demystify uh, mental health and and also be able to hopefully instill some hope in some folks um, that, you know, uh, it's okay to reach out. Uh, I'm not broken. I'm not weak. Um, you know, we don't, we don't use those terms when it comes to uh, cancer or, or diabetes. Um, for some reason, we seem to retain that only for the psychological issues as if we were, mm-hmm. you know, two different, instead of one unit, if you will, mind, body, right? Um, that, that, that somehow that's different when it's truly not. So um, I'm, I'm glad f- for this, this method of education um, and looking forward to, to some folks sharing their story. You know, one of the things that um, I think is powerful is when someone can uh, relate to another individual that story, right? And, for example, um, the the young man at 19 who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and survived, and now he's telling his story, right? Um, that's That can be powerful stuff. I think it, it can give folks some hope uh, when all else seems hopeless. So again, uh, I, I'm looking forward to having the opportunity of people tell their story. And, and uh, without disclosing who they are, that's not important. Uh, what's important is that they lived it um, and they've moved on. And that they've fought whatever the, quote, demons were and have moved on. So I think that's, that's uh, invaluable for individuals who feel that the walls have closed in, there, there's nothing that can be done. Uh, this is a helpless situation when it doesn't have to be, right? There, there is help available. And, and I will tell you, um, one of the things that's always been important for me here at, at CPR is nothing will get in the way of that. It's not financial. I don't care. We're, we're going to get, get you taken care of, and then we can go from there. That's a really inspiring place to, to sort of close things up today. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate being able to talk to you today. Thank you. All right. Take care. And to all of those listening, thank you for tuning in to CPR Unplugged. Look forward to spending next week with you. Take care.